0: Dear God, we're so grateful this Sabbath morning to be here at camp meeting and to have this time to now together to open God's word and study. Lord, we're looking at the last days of your life here on earth, leading up to your death on the cross. Lord, as we spend these next moments focusing on your life and your death and the sacrifice that you made for us, may our hearts be warmed. May we come away with lessons that we can apply in our lives. May our love for you be greater, and may we serve you best. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. Well, just before we launch into the lesson, I wonder, we were talking a little bit earlier, and Brother Camille was telling us about the components of Sabbath School and how this fit in with that. So just share with us briefly how we fit into the the four components of Sabbath School here.
2: Yeah, I think it's very important that we remember what Sabbath School is for. Like, for example, we talked about the, the glow it, going to the whole world. That's really focusing on the mission, uh, or the world mission. You know, we support the missions with, with offering, and we want to see the gospel go to the whole world. Then we started the lesson. That's what we're doing today. So that's, that's reason number two why we have Sabbath School. Reason number three is fellowship. You know, we get to fellowship with our fellow believers. The reason number four, this is your mic now, okay? (laughs) Reason number four is outreach. You know, imagine when, when we come together in the Sabbath school class and we, I remember, you know, when I was back in Czech in the Sabbath school class and the teacher would go around like, so tell us about how did you witness for the Lord this week? Because that's one of the four reasons why we have Sabbath school. And I was sitting there like, Lord, I don't have a testimony. Lord, you need to give me. And I would pray the whole week. Lord, you need to give me a testimony because on Sabbath, I want not have one. You know? And with GlowTrack, is so simple now. Imagine if every Sabbath, every class would come together and say, so how do we minister for the Lord today? Or this week? You know? So four reasons. World missions, fellowship, study the lesson, study God's word, and an outreach.
1: Amen. Well, another part of Sabbath School is checking to see if we've memorized our memory verse. How many of you know your memory verse this Sabbath? (laughs) Okay, panelists, how many of you know your memory verse this Sabbath? (laughs) They they don't have an excuse. I warned them yesterday. Well our memory verse comes from Matthew 26 and verse 31 and let's see if our panelists... would you like to hear a panelists say the memory verse <laughs> Now we're being put on this spot here and it's a little different but I'll start the couple words and then we'll we'll say it together okay We're we're going to have a, a, a memory verse choir here All right get your microphones. Neil that's <laughs> a good mic for this Then Jesus said to them, All of you will will be made made to stumble because because of me this this night. night. For For. For. it is is written, written, I will strike strike the the shepherd, shepherd, and
3: and the
0: the sheep of the flock flock will be be scattered.
1: scattered. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Did you notice they went the extra mile? (laughs) Not only verse 31, but verse 32 as well. But, you know, when you, look at this, when you look at this verse here, where Jesus is saying that the, the shepherd is going to be stricken and then all the sheep are going to scatter. I mean, this really is... We want the Lord to speak to our hearts in this because we don't want to be scattered. We know that there's a scattering that's going to come. We, we may think of that as a shaking that's going to come. And we don't want to leave... The side of our Savior. And so as we're studying our lesson today, we're going to be looking at how different characters and individuals were making decisions because the lesson brought out that God has given us freedom and free will and we all have the opportunity to make decisions. But as we make decisions, we want to make decisions toward our Savior. Decisions that lead towards heaven and not towards being scattered away from our Lord. So, we're going to get into our lesson here. And as we do that, we're going to begin with the feast at Simon's house. And so, if you have your Bibles, let's go to the book of Matthew and chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Now, as we're at least, you know, I can speak for myself. As we've been studying this, I'll tell you, there are so many treasures. In this chapter, we're going to be gleaning those, and our panelists are going to be helping us find those treasures as we go through here. But we're going to start here with chapter 26, and we're going to read verses 6 through 13. And I'm going to ask David if he will read those verses for
4: us. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of every precious of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying to what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for so much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the, the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you. But me, ye have not always. For in that, she hath poured this ointment on my body. She did it for my burial. Mm-hmm. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this that this woman had done be told for a memorial of her.
1: Amen. So here we see that the Passover is quickly coming. The plot is developing and Simon has opened his home for an evening with Jesus and the disciples. So let's, let's move into this scene here, and let's start to pull out some of the treasures that we have found.
3: Well, first of all, you notice that chapter 26 of Matthew is all about the, 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 um, apri- the, the arrest of Jesus and the beginning of his trial and all of that, and it almost seems a little odd that you would have this story sandwiched in the middle of it, because if you notice in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 26, um, this is where they plot to kill him by trickery and to capture him. And then after it, in verse 14, when they went 12, Judas Iscariot goes to them and gives him over. So why is this story here? And, and I think that the reason it is in this place is it's not just a story about the woman and, and her experience, though that's, of course, very important. This Particular scenario, this instance, serves as a springboard into the betrayal and trial of Jesus. This is basically where you see the characters who will be players in this final drama of Christ's life all together, and decisions are being made at this feast, either for Christ or against Him. And Christ sees through to the end, and He understands that, and thus this serves as the opening act. Of the final scenes of Christ's life.
1: Okay, so what's what is developing in here? Let's look at these uh, different individuals here, and let's let's just pull out those treasures about what's happening right here in this
0: scene. Well, one of the things that I noticed was um, the emphasis on this very costly gift that she's bringing, and. Matthew doesn't tell us how much this gift costs, but Mark chapter 14 tells us that it was 300 denarii, which is about a year's wages. Now, I don't think many women in Bible times had a lot of money, um, and Mary must have, this money she must have been having, collecting for a very long time to have a year's worth of wages spent to buy this ointment, so... This, this gift she's giving Jesus is really representing everything that she is her life, her reputation, her, her career, her finances, her future, all of it, she's just lavishly pouring out. And she's not even ask, hesitating or asking herself, can I afford this? Can I really do this? Um, is this too expensive? She's, she's just, like, throwing it all down there without even the slightest hesitation. And I don't think it's because she's just super wealthy. I think it's because she's super appreciative. You know, Jesus has done so much for herself, you know, in delivering her um, from personal demons in her life and a life of sin. And Jesus recently raised her her brother from the grave. and this love in her heart is just so great that she just wants to give everything. And it makes us ask ourselves, does our outpouring of love for God cost us something? Um, And is there anything that we could do for the Lord that would be too great compared to everything that he's done for us?
1: Amen. That reminds me of David when you know, the angel of the Lord is hovering over Jerusalem, and he goes out and to buy the, the threshing floor there. And they said, no, we'll give it to you. And he said, absolutely not. I will not bring to the Lord that which cost me nothing. Mm. And, you know, I thought about that, too. And, you know, of course, you have Judas, and Judas is saying, you know, why this, why this waste? And I thought, why is this a waste to Judas the reason why it's a waste to Judas is because he's, he, her gift was costing him mm-hmm. because he was a thief. Mm-hmm. So she's giving that which cost her something. But it was a waste to him because he, wa- he did not want
2: to lose that and spend that on Christ. Her gift was costing him something.
1: Mm. Okay.
2: You know, the Bible says too much is given, much is required. And everybody else had the opportunity to show an honor and and gratefulness to Jesus. But you have Simon the leper, okay, his house. And then you have a woman who everybody was talking about in the town. These people recognize what Jesus has done for them. And that's why they want to show the gratefulness. Somebody once said that you can sacrifice but not love, but you cannot love and not sacrifice. And so, here's, here's that woman just filled with gratefulness, and all she can do is just give to Jesus. Amen.
4: So, one of the contrasts that I've seen is, like, Simon, yes, he was giving a feast for Jesus, but Simon, he was rich, and we know that, and, uh, but the Mary was not rich, but though uh, he was paying the feast, he was paying the food, the, the gift that Mary gave was more expensive than what the, that, that Simon did, actually. So in verse 6, um, you see that how is Simon introduced? It says, now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. Mm. So he's, uh, the Bible specifically is showing, you know, remember this Simon was a leper and Jesus healed him. But the, the difference between Simon and Mary, and we know, we know in, 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 other, in the other Gospels that Simon complains as well, right? So he's not happy with Mary. And... Uh, and what happened here is that Simon was healed physically. He, he was healed by Jesus, but he was not completely healed looks like because Mary was healed inside. And that, what, the point that I'm bringing is like that a person that can be half converted and still do things for God. So a half converted can do things for God, but a full converted person can do all things for God. And that's what Mary did. It was not, she was not just half converted. It was she full converted that she gave it all. Simon
3: did not. And, 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 and the plot thickens when you understand that, I mean, you add the Spirit of prophecies uh, inspired commentary on this, and not only was Simon had his experience with Jesus, he had also had an experience with Mary. Mm-hmm. Desire of Ages, page two, uh, 566 said, Simon had led into sin the woman he now despised. Mm-hmm she had been deeply wronged by him. So he was half converted and that he was physically healed and he had an appreciation for Jesus, but he still didn't have that deep-seated heart transformation where she had experienced. But praise God, Christ uses this feast at Simon's house to finish the work in Simon's heart. If you continue reading Desire of Ages, that Christ looks at him, And in a moment, he begins to put the pieces together that he has not fully appreciated and realized that he is just as guilty as her, and he should have the same level of appreciation, and his healing is completed at this house, and that his spirit is restored, his mind is reconciled to God, and his heart is knit together with Christ. And that's a powerful thing that the the spirit of prophecy gives us in
0: this. You know, at this feast, everybody is making decisions, so Simon is coming to a point of conversion. Mary is just showing gratitude and love. Judas is also making decisions at this feast because as he sees what, what she's doing, she, he sees Jesus um, commending her and in so doing rebuking him for having just put her down. Um, the Desire of Ages um, gives this commentary on Judas at this moment. And it says, at the reproof from Jesus, his spirit turned to gall. Wounded pride and desire for revenge broke down the barriers. In other words, for up to this point, he hadn't ever expressed some of these feelings that had been coming into his heart. The greed that was so long indulged held him in control. This is the experience of everyone who persists in tampering with sin. The elements of depravity that are not resisted and overcome respond to Satan's temptations, and the soul is led captive at his will. So at this moment is when Judas went over the edge. like all these feelings of greed and pride and ambition had been in his heart for a long time. At this moment, when he saw Mary give this lavish gift and Jesus recommending, um, commending her, um, that was the moment when Judas said, okay, this is not what I want, and he went deep into the path of sin.
3: And it's fascinating that the the same truth, the same light, the gaze of Christ, the truth that hits home, can have two different reactions. It melts the heart of Simon, but it hardens the heart of Judas, that Christ can do all he can do, but there is still a decision on our part as to whether we're going to yield to the Spirit's influence or whether they're going to push it away. And here in this, this is the tipping point. This is the turning point that then executes the rest of this. This sets up the dominoes that would fall because of the decisions that were made at that house. The rest of the story unfolds. Mm -hmm.
1: Just one other thing that came to my mind in this story, which is, I mean, it just blows me away when i look at that i think about my own heart in this if if just imagine if the scenario was reversed imagine that it's jesus in a public arena all eyes watching and judas has this costly gift to give to christ in that setting he would have thought he would have said there's no gift too costly only because he was he would receive honor for giving it for judas A gift to Christ would be valuable only if he's receiving some glory, some praise in response to it. But if it's going to be where no one sees, no one recognizes, there's no benefit to to him personally, then it's a waste in his mind. Mm. I think of myself, Lord, you know, I don't want to give things to the Lord for the glory of men. Isn't that what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount? That, you know, don't get your trumpeter out ahead of you to to warn everybody that I'm about ready to put a $100 bill in the offering plate. But if no one's watching, well, maybe I'll slip the $1 bill in when no one's watching. It's, Lord, may I see the value in Jesus so much that when no eyes are watching, I give my best for Him. And Judas, he only wanted to give to Christ that which he would receive some type of glory, some type of benefit back for himself. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a, a, such a different character where Mary, she came into that room hoping that no one would notice her. She came and kneeled at Jesus' feet and wanted to do this in secret, but then she breaks open the, the alabaster uh, bottle and, and everybody knows. And so I just I just love her spirit where she wants to do for Christ because she loves Him and for her nothing was too costly for her Savior. Last comment here, and then we're going to move on into the next part yeah. of our story. I just
4: want to say that you know you see Simon, it was like uh, one of the greatest uh, great person uh, admire, and you see the apostles, but God chose the most sinful person in that place to teach a lesson. And it teaches me uh, personally that I might not have the greatest talents. Uh, I might not, not have everything, but the Bible says in, in Corinthians that God chooses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And this is what he did. This, this woman, Mary, she taught one of the greatest lessons in history that today they're, they're converting hearts. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. Let me just make a little note to my last comment. We want you to put $100 bills in the offering plate. (laughs) (laughs) And in these envelopes, too. (laughs) But, Stacey, you brought out that it was at this feast when Simon was rebuked, but he was rebuked in a way that was cutting him to the heart, where he would be sensing the call of Christ and the need to surrender to Christ. For Judas, it was that tipping point that was leading him to go and to betray his Lord. And we find that here in the next uh, verses here of Matthew 26. In verse 14 it says, Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? Again, he's looking, what am I going to get if I if I do this? And they counted out to him thirty pieces of silver, so from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him.
0: It's interesting, both Mary and Judas um, have this response of money in relationship to Jesus. So Mary is giving this gift to Jesus because she already acknowledges him as king of her heart, whereas Judas is giving. Receiving money in order to make Jesus king, so he can get a promotion. So both of them are doing something in relationship to money related to Christ. But well, one is acknowledging him as already king. The other one's trying to force him to become king, um, not recognizing what his that his mission is actually to be king of the hearts, not king of um, an earthly dominion.
3: And as you study this out in the Desire of Ages, you find also that. The, the, the almost cold logic of Judas in this moment. He looked at the, what in his mind, in his unconverted heart, was the wastefulness of what he had seen in that, in that feast. And he realized that Christ simply did not have the savvy, the business insight to know an opportunity when he sees it, to, to, you know, to gain where he could. And he, he was thinking, well, he's never going to be on his own the, the guy that we need him to be. You know, he's never going to be the king. So I might as well sell him out and get something for myself, since he's still a value at this point. But then he justified it. But also in doing this, maybe it will force his hand to become the king, and he'll thank me later on. You know, that in this, I win either way. I'll get some cash for it, if, if he isn't the guy we hope him. But if he really is the king, he's going to look back and say, boy... You were really wise. You pushed my hand. Good I, job. Owe it, I, I owe you. I owe you. Exactly. So he's thinking, how can, if he's not the Christ, how can I get something out of it? If he is the Christ, how can I get something out of it? This whole scheme is predicated on what can I get from him? And, and I don't want to make too much application to Christian life, but is it possible that we look to Jesus for what's the most we can get out of him? Period. Not the idea of what. Uh, what happens if he doesn't give you health and wealth and all the things. Are you still going to be faithful? You know, you think about those, uh, I, I'm, I'm calling to mind the, the, the Hebrew worthies who were in the fiery furnace. We have no need to answer you for this. Our God is able, but even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down. But Judas had a different mindset. His mind was, how can I get out of it either way for me? I just want to say that uh, when we are in the presence of Jesus,
4: we face our idols, and that hurts. That hurts so much, and that's why judas was experiencing you know he had his idol was money and he was having an issue with money there and and this is the point where where he decides to leave jesus and this is the sad part that he tries to get his idol in other ways and he unfortunately he he when the, that moment in front of jesus he has to face his idol and he chose to seek for his idol as well mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. it says here in So you go from this scene, and then they enter into the Passover time and the Last Supper. And in chapter 26, verse 20, where Jesus, or yeah, 20 and 21, Jesus tells them that he sits down with them. And then as they're eating, Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Look at the response of the disciples. It says here in verse 22, And they were what? exceedingly sorrowful and each one of them began to say Lord is it I and I just you know I think about that as when they hear this immediate thing that comes to their hearts is that they're grieved by it the even the very thought that there might be something hidden in their own hearts that would that that, you know as as the Bible says our hearts are deceitfully wicked they deceive us. They are questioning, Lord, is it I? And I just think, Lord, I want you to come and search my heart like that. Lord, I want you to test me and try me and see if, I, if there's any wicked way in me. I want the first thought when, when it would come to denying or betraying my Lord for me to be exceedingly sorrowful. And it's in Luke twenty two twenty one where Jesus even says, the hand of my betrayer is with me on, on the table. I mean, that, just, that should pierce our hearts. That one so close to Christ, is not their heart is not being cut to the heart or, or pricked in that way like it was the other apostles. Where they're leaning and saying, Lord, is it I? And then Peter leans over, ask them, ask them who it is. <laughs> because they don't want to be the one that's going to deny or betray their Lord.
3: And to delve deeper into it, even so, when he had made his decision, Judas, to betray Jesus, and he sought out the leaders and he arranged the deal, but even, even at this supper, Christ was still trying to win him. Christ's discipline is not punitive, it's redemptive. His goal is to win him back. And this seems to be the very final opportunity. He looks at him. He said, I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to see him. We're going to point him out. My hand is going to extend. It's the one I take bread with. That's who it is. And in John, it's fascinating. In the same account, John, of course, of the Last Supper is the one who records the foot washing. And he gives some added detail that the other gospel writers don't give. And in John chapter 13, there's a fascinating statement about this experience of Judas. If you go down to verse, let's just start with verse 25. Then, leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? That was Peter, right? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Hmm. He hands it, points him out. So, In front of all of their friends, there's Jesus and there's Judas. They're eye to eye, literally hand to hand. And Christ is doing, it it reminds me of Stephen. Look, there he is. Just look. And notice what the scripture says. Verse 27. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Now, the arrangements had already been made but there was still hope for judas but there comes a point when you've grieved the holy spirit and it's not that salvation isn't available it's that you close down the avenue of the heart and you simply don't want it anymore and christ had done every he literally reached out to his betrayer looked him in the eye touched him in the hand and this was the moment that sealed judas's destiny fascinating that's why
1: we have to always say in our hearts today is the day of salvation we we cannot delay we cannot wait there will be a close of probation there's going to come a time where every decision that can be made will indeed be made and while Christ in the through the Holy Spirit is appealing to our hearts we cannot delay that decision not only for our own souls, but even think about this, the influence that Christ would have on us for the work of the, uh, of the truth going to others, to our family, to our friends, and far beyond. We cannot miss that, that today is the day of opportunity. And it, Ellen White tells us that it was not until that point when he left that room, he had crossed that boundary, never to return.
2: You know, I, I keep thinking about giving was really the, the, the issue that he was struggling with. You look, at, you look at the woman, and she was a giving woman. You have Judas, who was not a giving man. And I think we should not underestimate that kind of thing. You look at Cornelius. You know, God looks at Cornelius and says there are two things that he's known for. He loves the Lord, and he's a giving person. He gives. I remember having a student co-porter a few years ago and she's going door to door. She's not getting books out and and she's like pleading with the Lord, Lord, what is it? What is it? Why you're not using me? And then he convicts her about something. You're not returning faithful tithe. She went home, paid the tithe, and boom, she began to do really well as a co-porter. And so here you have Judah struggling with money and I think I think it's a bigger issue than we sometimes make out of it. It's not that God needs the money we need. It's for us. Amen. So
1: we we see the the work that's happening in Judas's heart. And he goes out from there to finish the work of of betrayal. And we come down to verse 31 in Matthew 26, which is our memory verse. And Jesus telling them that all of his disciples are going to be made to stumble because of him this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And notice Peter. Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said not just Peter, but all the disciples. So we see Judas's betrayal, but here we see Peter, he begins to boast, and we all know the path from there. But let's trace this path in the few minutes that we have and pull out, how did he go from this boast to his denial?
3: Well, one of the things I want to point out here um, is that a lot is made that both Judas and Peter denied Christ, right? Both betrayed him in a certain sense. But Christ recognized, again, I'm going to go back to John 13, that there was a difference between Peter's denial and Judas's betrayal, right? Because when Christ was washing the disciples' feet, and you're going find that in Matthew, uh, John chapter 13, when he said to Peter, if, you, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me, in verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. He's a man of extremes, and he says, oh, if I have to be washed, then wash me all the way, Right? And Jesus makes this comment. Jesus said, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. Right? So he had not rebelled against God. He was coming from a good motive, but he still had made mistakes. There was still pride. There was still temper. There was still all these presumption that was in his life. And Christ realized he needed to be washed and be clean, but he hadn't lost his first faith. You know what I'm saying? He hadn't, it wasn't a re-baptism that was needed. He hadn't walked away, but he still needed to wash his feet. But then he adds, he said, Jesus said to him, again, verse 10 of John 13, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, you are not all clean. So though Peter would betray Christ, there was still a sincerity in his relationship with Christ that knew he could be one back, let's just wash your feet, let's start again, let's recalibrate, let's recommit, we can start this over. For Judas, it was a different story. And Christ declared him to be Unclean, and that no matter how much outward bathing or whatever, it was not the genuine heart repentance was not there with Judas. Where Peter, I don't doubt his sincerity; he just didn't know what he was talking about, and he and his flesh was weak. He had a fallen nature, and he gave in. But Christ, did, and this is a lesson for all of us: we can have a sincere walk with God, and yes, we can fall down from time to time. But Christ says, "Let's get back up." What did, what is the, what is, what does the Scripture tell us? The righteous fall seven times, but gets back up. Yeah. But the wicked fall by calamity. Mm-hmm. They fall down and they stay down. Judas takes a fall and it's, a, it's he headlong goes in there and he commits to it and he stays down. Peter falls and he gets back up. And that's a very beautiful picture of God's redemptive grace, I see.
1: Desire of Ages 294 tells us just a little insight into Judas's heart. The reason why he was at variance with Christ, is she says, is that he would not yield his ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, he had thoughts and plans that he, he had a direction that he thought should happen, that Christ should go. And when it looked like Christ was going a different way, he would not yield his position to the, to the will of Christ. And doesn't that happen in our lives too? Where the Spirit of God comes and he's convicting us. But we're saying, no, Lord, it has to be this way. We have to have a heart of submission, a heart of of desire for the Lord's will to be done in our lives. But here's Peter. He's boasting. What is going to happen here in the next few uh, moments as they enter into the garden that could have guarded and shielded him from that denial of Jesus?
4: Well, um, this is the difference between Judas and Peter. Uh, if you notice it uh, through the history, through the timeline of these, uh, these moments of, uh, of Jesus and Judas and Peter, every time that Jesus confronts or is confronted with Judas, Judas leaves. And you, you, you can see that in, in John 13, 27, you know, that does do, uh, that does do quickly. So whatever you're going to do, it, do it quickly. And what he does is just leaves. And even in, the, in Mount of Olives, when he betrays Jesus... He also leaves. So what Peter doesn't do is leave Jesus. He struggles and he stays with Jesus. He makes mistakes, but he stays with Jesus. Even when he's arrested, when Jesus is arrested, he's also following Jesus. And uh, and the moment that he actually um, happens, when he betrays Jesus, he's totally destroyed. But the desire of ages says that in that moment he saw Jesus. And Jesus had an, made an eye contact with Peter, and he saw Jesus, and in his face was not condemnation. It was forgiveness. Amen. Judas did not see that face. That's why he got lost, because in the greatest troubles that we have, sometimes we tend to leave Jesus. When we face issues, we leave Jesus, but Peter didn't do that. From the beginning, though he was he was uh, he was a stubborn. He was all of this, but he was with Jesus. The first experience that he had with Jesus was when he was he did all, all these miracles, you know, and the and the fisherman. And the Bible claims, uh, the Bible shows that he goes on his feet. And Desire of Ages shows more, and it says that when he said, you know, depart from me, for I'm a sinner. Desire of Ages shows that he goes and hugs Jesus' feet, and he says that depart from me, I am a sinner. But at the same time, he's saying, don't leave me. Jesus. And I, I believe they, this is the difference. When we have problems, we should cling to Jesus more than ever.
1: And when he saw, when Jesus looked at him, the Bible says he went out wet bitterly. Where did he go? He went,
0: to he went back to Gethsemane. Mm-hmm. To
1: yeah. where in Gethsemane? Gethsemane,
0: where he's seen Jesus weeping and dropping sweats of blood, right. you know. And I think he at that point realized, I could have, Jesus tried to save me from this you know he warned me about this even before Jesus told him you know you will deny me before the rooster crows even prior to that he had said to Peter um, in Luke 22 Satan has asked for you but I have prayed for you that your faith doesn't fail and when you're converted when you will be converted, Peter, and when you are, strengthen your brethren. Jesus had several times warned him, and that's what he said to him here in the garden in Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He knew Peter had a willing heart. He knew that Peter really did want to die for Jesus. But he knew that Peter's heart was weak, and he he was warning him, don't sleep. When you, you, when you sleep, you're off guard. You're not being watchful. You're not being alert. And, and when I read this, I asked myself, we're coming to a time of great temptation in the world, right? right? We're going to be facing temptations like we've never, ever experienced before. And it's going to be our night of trial. And Jesus is asking us right now, watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. I know that you want to be faithful to me. I know that you are pledging uh, loyalty to me, but I know your heart is weak, so you must watch and pray, because the time's far spent, the day's at hand, cast off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light, you know, um, because that time, and if we don't do that preparation now, we're distracted and we're sleepy, whatever, that moment will come, the end will come, and we will have to go into it unprepared, and we will f- we could fall like Peter did, except that time there isn't maybe time to recover. So how important it is for us to learn from Peter's mistake, watch and pray now so that we will not fall when that time of great temptation comes.
1: Amen. You know, when I think about that, and I read that verse, Jesus comes there and he says, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? I mean, Christ, he was coming there to find the, the support and encouragement of disciples and they were sleeping but this is the savior we serve jesus there says the spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak even right there he's so compassionate and merciful to his disciples i mean that's the kind of savior we serve he's not there looking to catch us when we've fallen well maybe i we should say he is there to catch us when we fall and to pick us back up But He's not there to condemn us. He's there to save us and to warn us and to pick us back up and get us on that path of righteousness. And He is calling us, I believe, today. What could you not watch with me? Could you not be steadfast in what I've called you to do? And yet He's still giving us that word of mercy and compassion. The flesh is weak, I know. I know your spirit is willing But through me, I can help you. And Christ is calling us to get up and stay watchful and in prayer with him. And the Ages says that the disciples in that time, I mean, this is just fascinating to me. She says that they were, when Jesus left them and he went to go pray, Jesus was still within sight and hearing of the apostles. He was not so far away that he was hidden. They could still see and hear him pleading in behalf of the work that God had called him to do. And I just think, Lord, help us to keep our eye on Jesus like you said, that we might be earnest and watchful and prayerful. Last comment here, and then we're going to close.
3: Yeah, throughout this whole thing, As the lesson brought out, it's about decision-making, our freedom of choice. And you see this thread of decision after decision, whether it's Mary to spend that money or it's Simon to throw the feast and be converted, it's Judas, it's Peter. But the quintessential decision to be made is by Jesus himself. And he knows when he goes with those disciples, when he says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, he has human flesh. He knows the struggle. He's living it out. In his own experience, and while others are falling away, left and right, all of his closest support is retreating, he's alone with the Father, and even the spirit of the sense of the Father's presence is going to leave him. No one is watching. No one seems to appreciate. It seems like a hopeless cause, and there's absolutely no logical reason to go forward. Yet Christ says, not my will, but yours be done. He gives us the ultimate demonstration of godly decision-making. Then when there's no earthly reason to press forward, there's no support, you're not going to get any kudos, any reward. And Mrs. White even talks about it, later on the cross, he couldn't even see through the portals of the tomb. But still he went forward because it was the right thing to do. I don't have that yet, but I want it. You know, and I don't, I, I, you know... I hope that there's hope in that to say, Lord, I don't have it, but I want it and I can only find it in you. And I think that he's offering that kind of steadfast resolve, that kind of uh, uh, firmness to principle that we don't have naturally. We simply don't have it, but Christ can give it to us through his strength.
1: Well, we need to close. Let me close with this. Desire of Ages 311. On those choices, Jesus... She's speaking of here. He took our nature and overcame that we through taking his nature might overcome. Christ made those decisions and through him we can make those right decisions too. Isn't that wonderful news? Amen. Let's bow our heads as we pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for such precious things that you reveal to us. Thank you for your word. Lord, please help us to hide your word in our hearts, how we want to be like Jesus, how we long to have his character reproduced within us. Lord, thank you for this time of Sabbath school. And if anything is brought from this, may it be that we want to see Jesus as the most valuable, most wonderful, most precious thing in our lives. And as we keep our eyes on him, that he will help us as we make decisions for eternity. Bless each one here today, Lord. And thank you for this Sabbath. In Jesus' name, amen.
3: This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org